morning we have the opportunity to take a little bit of time to talk about stewardship. Uh, that's what God has put before us. And so let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for making us stewards of resources. And I thank you that you have, have let the, the people here come and uh, share their ears, their time, their energy with me and with everybody else here. That we, we know how precious a resource time is. And I just I want to thank you that you have given us that resource to use. I pray that as we would hear your word, that we would be filled with joy in, in the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a, a gardener who grew a carrot, and it was the finest carrot that he had ever grown, and, and he decided then to take that carrot to his king. He took the carrot to the king, he gave it to the king, and he said, King, I wanted to give you this carrot. This is the finest and the, the nicest carrot I have ever grown, and out of love and respect for you, I want to give it to you. Uh, the king discerned the, the gardener's heart. He was very impressed by it. And he said, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. You are an excellent gardener. I have a plot of land that's right next to yours. And I would like to give it to you. And so the, the gardener went away floored by the king's generosity. A nobleman was in the court that day, and he heard what happened. He saw the gardener give the carrot and in return receive this plot of land, or at least he thought it was in return, and he said to himself, my, what would happen if I brought even a greater gift? And so the next day he came back to court and he brought with him a stallion, a fine black stallion, and, and he said to the king, my king, I am a, I breed horses. I'm a horse breeder. This is the finest, the handsomest, the fastest, nicest stallion I have ever bred or will ever breed, and I would like to give it to you. And the king thanked him for the gift and sent him on his way. And perplexed, as he walked out the door, uh, he was kind of shaking his head, and the king said, would you like to, to know a little bit more? And the nobleman said, Yes, and the king said, well, the gardener was giving me the carrot, and you were giving yourself the horse. The gardener was giving the carrot to the king out of a pure heart, right? Out of a, a, a genuine heart. But the nobleman was giving the horse in order to get something else. Uh, it, it, it illustrates for us the challenge of giving, the difficulty of giving. Very few, if any of us, can genuinely give something out of a, a, a really true, pure heart without asking and looking for anything in return. These, this is just one of the challenges of giving. What are, what are some of the other challenges of giving that you might face? I, I listed a couple of them here. Which one of these is maybe most common for you? You say, you know, I, I give unwillingly or Begrudgingly, I, I face this one every time um, somebody calls church, you know, and they they need money for groceries. Uh, I, I, I my heart immediately says, well, maybe they're just trying to take advantage of me, and I don't want to give them ten bucks or fifteen bucks in, of groceries. Uh, or maybe do you deal with giving selfishly? And almost manipulatively. Kids do this all the time, don't they? They say, Mom, here, if I, if I give, you, give you this $2, will you go buy me you know, this video game from the store? That, that's just, just manipulating, just like this nobleman did. Or, or, which, or do you maybe say, sometimes give scarcely? 
This one happens all the time, too. You, you, you focus on the scarcity of resources that you have rather than on the, the plenty resources that you have. You, you go into the store, you're checking out, and, and they say, do you want to add a dollar onto your, your bill today and give to cancer research or this heart foundation or, or whatever it is? And you think, well, man, maybe that'd be nice. But, you know, I've got... I got my mortgage is a, a, a bill overdue. I've got all these health bills going on. I need to do these repairs on the cars. What, what are you focused on? You're focused on your lack of resources instead of the fact that you have a house and you have a, two cars to drive and, and you have health that you can take care of. You're giving out of scarcity there instead of out of your generosity. See, the Bible puts a very different picture of giving in front of us. There, there's no sense in the Bible that you and I should be any of this kind of giver. The, the giver of the Bible is like this. He's, he's cheerful. You're, you're a cheerful giver. You're always glad to give. You're honest. You're unmanipulative. You're like that carrot grower. You give out of a genuinely grateful heart, and you're generous. You, know, you don't wait to see how much you have. You just give. That's the kind of giver that the Bible puts before us, and I, I think that all of you whether you believe in Jesus or not, or whether your faith is, is strong right now or not, I think you would like to be that kind of a giver. Wouldn't you like to be this, this genuine, honest, cheerful, generous giver? Not somebody who, who manipulates or, or gives out of scarcity, which sadly is, is too much of our giving, isn't it? That's just like that nobleman getting so we can get in return. That's what God wants to call you and I to over the next few weeks, this generous kind of giver. And today, we just take the first step. The first step to being that kind of a giver. And what's it going to be? Well, we need to learn to whom we first need to be generous. See, Haggai, he does a pretty good job for us of painting the challenge or describing the challenge of giving the situation is, is like this. You hear it in verse 2. Um, the situation is that the people are saying, it's not time to build a building, a new building, for the worship of God. Um, it's just not time to put that building up. And so the, why are the people saying this? The people are saying this. They explain some of it in, in verses 5 and 6. Uh, the people have been back from Babylon and from captivity for about 50, 15 years at this point. They were in Babylon for captivity for about 50 years. Uh, and I suspect that as they came back, the, well, we, we know that the brightest and the most talented stayed behind in Babylon. Uh, they did not come back from captivity with the people. Uh, and so when they came back, they faced some incredible challenges. You can imagine a, a war-torn land that has been abandoned for 50 years, how much it would have been in shambles. Uh, the vineyards would have been completely trashed. And I bet after 10 to 12 years, they were just beginning to produce a little bit of a harvest. Uh, the fields were overrun, filled with rocks, 
and weeds. There were probably a lot of squabbles about who owned which land. The roads were gone. The houses were in disrepair. And and verse 5 and 6 tells us that how the people then were feeling was what what happened is they were were planting a lot uh, in in the the sowing time. Uh, But then when it came time to harvest... There was nothing to harvest. Somebody was just telling me how bad the, the radish harvest is this year because of all of the rain. Right? It's like that kind of a situation. There's, there's lots of planting going on in Israel, but there's very little to harvest. But it's even worse than that uh, because it says that the people are they have, they're putting on clothes but they never feel warm. And you can imagine what kind of a situation might leave you like that. If you're putting on clothes, but you're never warm, then the weather is probably constantly changing, and they can't, they can't actually uh, make enough clothing fast enough to keep all of the people warm. You know, the, the sheep are not generating the wool fast enough, and you can't sew it and turn it into clothes. Um, and, and last, we hear that the people are earning wages, but they're just flowing right out of their pockets. Uh, so they're, they're going to work in the vineyard for the day and they're taking their wages and as they go home, a few pieces of the coin fall out of their pockets and then they buy a piece of overpriced bread and voila, they get home with just a, a few pennies to show for their whole day of, of work. Maybe you can already start to connect or to commiserate with, with these Israelites. It's a tough situation, isn't it? Uh, they've only been home for 15 or so years from, from Babylon. They've managed to put up some basic houses. The houses we know, we hear they have paneling on them, which means that they have like siding. They're, they're finished houses. But they're not fancy houses. They're not putting up brick and stone houses. They have a drought, which is why they, they can't get enough harvest. They're, they're always running out of money to buy enough food to eat for their groceries. It, it's a t- tough situation. Would you want to live in Jerusalem in the 520s? I, I don't think so. What God, though, is telling the people... He goes on to tell them, he says, the reason that all of this is the way it is, did you, did you catch what he said? He said in verse 9, he said, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. What God says to them is, you've got your, your priority is all wrong in your life, and that's why you don't feel like you have enough. Like my, my silly illustration with the rocks and the water, if you try to put in all of the food, the water first, or if you try to put in all of the games, the sand first, or if you try to put in even your own house and all of the little pebbles first, is there any space left at the end to put in the big God rock? No, there's not. You can't fit it in. God is saying you've got to put the God rock in your life first, and if you don't get it in, What's that going to feel like? It's going to feel like, he says, scarcity. It's going to feel like you never have enough. Did you, did you catch what he's saying? 
He, he's saying that scarcity often comes from the, the wrong priority. Now, I realize that even in Otsego and Plainwell, there are people who are experiencing scarcity. They don't have, like the Israelites here, they don't have enough food, they don't have enough clothes, they don't have maybe a, a house even, simply because they don't have those resources. They don't have a job, or maybe they don't have the physical health that will let them get those things. But a lot of us, a lot of us feel like there's not enough when we have resources at our disposal. When, like these Israelites, we have a house, we have a home, we have a car, we have everything else, and yet we feel like there's not enough. And, and God is saying to us, just like he said to the Israelites, that comes from a wrong priority. Because you've got the wrong priorities, and if you have the wrong priorities, you'll get filled up. To look at that, that rock illustration a, a little bit more closely, if you put in a heavy rock, say something like you go volunteer for humanitarian aid in a place that's needy, that's something that we all know is, is pretty satisfying. You find a lot of meaning in that. It brings you great joy to go and to serve people food and to take care of their medical needs. It's, it's a very beneficial thing. If you take that rock and you put it in there in place of all of the water and the sand in the jar, is your life going to feel more satisfied, more full? Of course it is. It's, it's better to have that very substantive rock full of meaning, the, the humanitarian aid, than it is to have something light and fluffy like Legos or a video game or, or the nice TVs that we'd all like to have. It, it's no wonder God is saying that you feel like there's not enough resources because the priorities are off. And did you see what God's answer to his people for their lack of, of resources, for the feeling of scarcity that they had? He says in verse 13, he says, I am with you. Very simply, I am with you. He's showing the people something incredible. God promises to be with you and with me even before we take any steps to give to him. In, in this lesson, God says, I am with you to the Israelites. Before they've started to build the temple, that doesn't happen until verses 14 and 15, does it? It's after God says, I am with you, that they finally take the steps to start building the temple. See, there are some people in our lives, aren't there, who would say, I'll be with you once you fix your life. You've got all kinds of messed up priorities. You're into all kinds of bad things, and your life is broken. And maybe we've even been this person who have said, once you get your life straightened out, then I'll be with you. If you've got so many problems, I can't do it. But God says to you, I know you've got problems. 
I know your life is all messed up. I'll be with you anyway. I want to be with you. I love you that much. I'll even take those problems on myself. But we probably also have people in our lives who say to us, I don't want to be with you. I'm good. I got everything I need. Why would I need to be with you? Why would I need to invest in you? Why would I need to spend time with you? We have people like that in our lives too, don't we? And God won't say that either. He says to us, yeah, I don't need you. I don't need to have you. I don't need anything that you can give me, but I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. I will become a man so that I can be part of your life and be with you now and always. God's promise to be with you is an amazing gospel promise. It's not dependent on you fixing your life or being the right person. He simply wants to be with you. And that rock illustration, the the jar that I had that was filled with all the junk rocks, it, it shows us something else. How are you going to ever have enough space for God in your life if your whole life is filled up with all of the little stuff? with the water of games or, or TVs or, or toys? How are you and I going to ever have enough space to have God in our lives? The, the only thing we can do is give up some of that little stuff, dump it out like I just did, so that there's space again to fit that big rock of God back in our lives. You maybe have heard before, that the gospel is, is what we call the great exchange. God gives to us and because we give our sin and our unworthiness to God. And, and friends, we, we give him our sin, but you know, we also give him the, the junk in our lives that's not worth anything and is not going to save us. If you and I are saying, you're right, I've, I've spent way too much time watching TV. Maybe it's time for me to give up that TV so I've got a little more space in my life. And I can, I can go to God like the gardener and I can say, here it is, it's worth nothing to you, but I can give it to you. Or if you and I have spent too much time with our, our, our money, trying to hoard it and save it up, maybe it's time that we can say, hey, you know, I, I don't need to hold on to this anymore. And God can come back to us and say, I'm with you. Here I am. Here's the big rock of God, and I'm going to put it in your life, and I'm going to fill your life up, and you will have joy and peace that you have never known. That's God's promise to you and to me. So can you do something with me? Um, For the next couple weeks here as we talk about this, we're starting this all out, this little emphasis, by taking home these little pamphlets. There's, uh, they're uh, on the back there. I don't know if the ushers folded them up for us or not. It doesn't matter. You can, can fold it up yourself. Can you take this home with yourself this week and, and just take a look at it? It's got 10 reasons why giving is good, why giving is important. Uh, and I bet that as you read them and study them and think about them, that you will find that your heart too could be more generous. It can be more generous because God wants to give to you and he will find ways as you give to be with you, to fill up you and your life. 
So take these home and uh, study that with your friends, with your family, and, and you will probably be able to do more than you ever imagined. Because generous living begins with God first giving. Let me just give you one example as we close here. Um, there's a sociologist, his name is Robert Woodbury, Robert Woodbury, who studied the health of nations around the world. And as he studied the health of nations, this is one thing he noticed. He said that the work of missionaries turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations. Specifically, he noticed that in areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past, on average, more econo- those areas were more economically developed today with better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. What Woodbury was saying is is through his research of, of nations around the world, he found that places where Protestant, gospel-believing, Bible-believing Christians and missionaries lived, that people experienced healthier lives, better lives, I think we could say. And this is what God first giving will do for the world. Generous living starts with that God first giving, and it will lead to healthier lives for all of the people around us. Are you willing to discover that, find that out? Let's see if we can do that, because that's how generous living works. If it starts with God first giving, it will produce generous living. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would reorganize the priorities of our hearts. Very often we feel like our resources are scarce, but that's very much because we, we probably just have priorities that are out of line. And we